Hey, everybody, this is Mark Levine, and you're listening to episode number 12 of the NYC Real Estate Podcast. And today I am with Orist Tomaselli, and he is the founder of the National Condo Advisors LLC and also Strategic Inspections LLC. And we're going to talk about a lot of great things, and welcome to the show. Thank you. So for those that don't know me, before we get into you, Orist, um, I'm one of the partners of a management company out here in New York City called EBMG, and we manage about 175 properties at this point, uh, mostly co-op and condo. And what um, we'd like to ask you is if you want to subscribe and share it to the podcast, that would be great. Uh, if you want to rate us five stars, that'd be even better. And also, if you want to email the show, you could e- email us directly at nycrealestatepodcast at gmail.com nyc real estate podcast at gmail.com and that could even be any questions you have or if you wanted to come on the show we're always looking for great guests and great topics so feel free to send us a note but oris now that we've got you in the studio and it's moving day here at my office and it's i was it's a disaster it's a bomb you know kind of <laughs> went off but thanks for coming in i appreciate it absolutely thanks for having me yeah no problem so we got introduced by a few different people in a few different ways and i think it's perfect timing for you to come into the office and and in studio and talk to us, but you want to give us a background on what you do for a living and um, how you got here and, you know, anything else you want to talk about? Sure. So uh, I'm the owner of National Condo Advisors and Strategic Inspections, and those two companies work across the U.S. in providing condominium project approval and reserve studies for new construction and existing condominium and cooperative developments. Exciting business or no? Yeah, kind of. It's, uh, it's interesting. It depends on the day. But uh, we work on a lot of the new construction developments in New York City. Right. Um, a huge amount of reviews are done on these you know, new projects that are going up, and we see them two or three years before they're even mm-hmm. you know, in the ground, so to speak. Which is interesting probably for you because you have a good feel of the market at any given time, and you can feel the slowdowns before they happen, and, or before the general public could feel it because you're watching – oh, well, de- new developments are down or new developments are up or this has been scaled back. You, you probably have an insight into that, right? Yeah, a, a, a very good insight into that. Yeah, you know, we, uh, good we, pulse. Yeah, we see uh, projects where, where we talk about them two or three years before they're supposed to be developed and then right. sometimes they don't get developed. Yeah, and that could be for any reason. It could be financing just fell through or the partners just had a fallout or yep. Yep. change of use. Yeah. yeah, exactly. But on the whole, because we're ubiquitous within this space, so to speak, mm-hmm. we see a lot of these developments. Um, yeah. So we have a really good pulse on it. You know, right. we have a good, really good feeling on, uh, on what these developments are going to be doing. So how did you get into this? What's your background? So my background is in mortgage financing and mortgage compliance. So uh, 12 years ago, I was working for a large bank doing mortgage compliance for condominiums and cooperatives and yeah. saw the guidelines change. And when the guidelines changed, I decided to open up a company to... Mm-hmm help developers and help existing condominium boards and management get these projects approved for mortgage financing. Did you see a lot of, when you were doing that, did you see a big open space for that? Yeah. You know, at the time for this lender I was working for, we had over uh, 300 sites across the country that we were priming in order to do mortgage financing within these developments. Yeah. So when the, you know, the bottom fell out of the market, um, there was a tremendous opportunity. A lot of people, you know, kind of, ran away and hid. I think we, we took a different look at this. I took a different look at this and, and saw the opportunity here. Well, wa- let's walk through it. And we were talking before we started recording and it's, it's a newish thing for me to learn about because I'm just not surrounded by what you do every day. I'm surrounded by what I do every day. So I think that 
a lot of people listening to this may be on the same um, spectrum that I am in, in the sense that they don't know what we're talking about. So if we want to pick, let's say with your national condo advisors, right? You want to walk us through um, what a typical client looks like and the services that you provide and how that adds value to those buildings, those condos, those developments that hire you for them. Yeah, so there are essentially three categories of clients that we work with. We work with a new construction developer who's building a new construction condominium development. Uh, we work with an existing board or board members um, who essentially manage a property internally and, 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 and make sure that that condominium development is compliant with all sorts of guidelines that are out there. Um, and we work with property management groups. Uh, property management groups and, and, and lenders in a lot of ways where we review these developments for specific, specific lender clients. Right. Um, what we're reviewing is we're making sure, you know, very simply, that these developments are compliant for mortgage financing. Um, value is specifically tied to whether or not you could finance a unit within a condominium development. Mm -hmm. So if you can't get financing, values typically drop, even right. in markets like New York City. Yeah, because it, it, you're, you're shrinking the market, right? You're shrinking the available money. So money is going to be more expensive. Correct. And it's going to drive down the value. Correct. Okay. So it's, they're all tied together. Correct. Okay. And a lot of people don't understand that because yeah. you can get lucky and go for a mortgage at a bank and they'll approve you. But that doesn't mean that the entire development is going to get approval and that your neighbor who's looking to either purchase or refinance their existing um, apartment will not be able to do so. And then it's a frustration point yeah. for the entirety. So would a board in theory, hire you because they're saying, okay, we need to get a blanket coverage for this building to ensure that Fannie, Fannie Mae recognizes this building as a, kind of a global approval. And then instead of what we were talking about before we started was, you know, the difference of a limited approval versus the entire complex approval, the global approval, right? right. So do you want to explain the difference between the two? Sure. So essentially you have to look at there are two important things to remember here. Number one, when you buy a unit within a condominium development, you're buying into a community. And, and, and your neighbor really has an impact on you. Um, when all of your neighbors begin to have an impact on you, yeah. um, whether that's if they're not paying their maintenance on time or if they decided that, you know, they're, 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 they're not doing repairs to their apartments or... You know, all of those things have a tremendous impact on every single homeowner. So when you're in that community, it's really important to make sure that you're working together because if you don't, values within that community drop. Right. So what we look at when we look at a development and, and these two competing paths, so to speak, um, with Fannie Mae, you also have to kind of look at, at what Fannie Mae is in the marketplace. And Fannie Mae is really the basis for all lending across the country, mm -hmm. whether it's a unit that's you know, uh, you know, $5 million that's going up for sale and that needs mortgage financing, that unit, essentially the financing that's provided on that unit is also, in theory, based in Fannie Mae's guidelines. Right. Um, so when we look at a development, we look at, you know, two different paths, whether or not it's a unit price of $500,000 a unit or $5 million a unit, we want to make sure that that development is compliant with Fannie Mae's regulations because if it is then the lenders would also lend within the building, regardless of the price point. Let me jump in. What are some standard Fannie Mae requirements? 
So Fannie Mae has a, a litany of requirements for bylaws, uh-huh. ensuring that there are very there's very specific language within condominium bylaws that have specifically tied to notice provisions so that if let's say homeowners uh, stop paying their maintenance on time right. and are more than you know more than 15% of the unit owners within the development uh, are delinquent on their maintenance payments by more than 60 days right Fannie Mae wants notification provisions within the bylaws that states that every single mortgagee or whoever holds a, a mortgage within that development is going to be notified of that mm-hmm. so that's one of the standard requirements that Fannie Mae has. That and that's an onerous, as a manager, that's an onerous uh, tactic on, on the bylaws part. Yeah, it's really difficult to comply with. Yeah. Um, it's really hard. And, and the language is very specific in Fannie Mae's guidelines, and it has to be very specific in the bylaws as well. So that's one of the big ones that, mm-hmm. you know, when we look at a condominium development, we review the bylaws and make sure that that guideline, you know, that that guidance is in there and the, that language is within those bylaws so that we can have an easy path for mortgage financing. Right. All so right. That's one. Yeah. Tell me some more. <laughs> this is interesting to me. This is all, this is all like, you know, it's interesting to your audience. Um, hey, if, if they're if they're listening to this, they're interested. Otherwise, yeah. they're sleeping. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Um, the other big one that, that kind of, you know, hits a lot of developments and, and, and is impactful for condominium developments is this guideline that states that you need a 10% line item in your condominium right. budget for reserve. Yeah. And that came about, I remember, like, top of head, it came about, like, five, six years ago when it really started hitting that all the all the condos had to have a 10% shuff, shuffle from the operating to the reserve to, to build that, to Correct. be compliant. Correct, to be compliant. And right. it had to be a line item in the condominium budget, yeah. and it had to be specific, it almost, it, not almost, exactly 10% of the total amount of the condominium budget. Yeah. So it actually came out around nine years ago, but it started okay. to be enforced around five or six yeah. years ago. Yeah. So, um, you know, a lot of people ask me this question, you know, well, why is it important and why can't we just do a special assessment instead of mm-hmm. having this 10% line item in the condominium budget? And, you know, how much is too much money? And, you know, we have $3 million in an account. Isn't that enough money yeah. to pay for, you know, all the repairs and the development? So to understand this one, you have to understand where the guideline really came from. Um, and I want to say that it's Florida and Arizona's fault. <laughs> so <laughs> It's always Florida's fault. Yeah. Um, so what ended up happening is, you know, during the market crash, um, a lot of developments didn't have enough money to you know, do basic repairs on the common area elements of the development, right. whether it was the roof um, or the mechanicals. And what ends up happening is if you don't have that cash, you need to get that cash from somewhere, right? And right. again, going back to this idea that you're a community, you have to go back to the homeowners and have them write a check. Mm-hmm. Well, if you're underwatering your mortgage and you're not paying your maintenance on time where you know those homeowners typically won't write that check you're going to have back to the delinquency you're going to have a lot of delinquency if it's not built in but if it's in the budget and it's a normally anticipated part of your common charges or your maintenance you know whatever we want to call it then if you can't afford it you're just not going to live there because that will sort itself out correct you're going to have you know you're going to have to qualify for that mortgage with that number in there and you're going to be paying it every single month. So right. you should have a good kitty built up of cash, you know, set aside so that repairs and maintenance can be done within the development. Right. Um, 
So the basis of the guideline is really good. It, you know, the, the, the agencies essentially want to make sure that there's enough cash so that special assessments don't get created within these condominium developments. Mm -hmm. um, that's the entire basis of it. Right. Um, you know, they, they want to make sure people are used to paying that money. Right. Um, the, the issues that come up are really based upon, you know, what's too much money. You know, well, we have you know two three million dollars in an account. Mm -hmm. Why are we still setting aside ten percent a month for reserves? Um, and there's a lot of ways to solve that issue and solve that problem. Um, one of the ways is doing a reserve study on the site mm -hmm. and ensuring that. And what a reserve study is, by the way, is a uh, it, it's a report typically performed by an inspector and an engineer mm -hmm. um, on all the common area elements within a within a condominium development. So the roof, the exterior, um, all the mechanicals, all the common hallways uh, and stairwells. And, and what the report does is essentially it looks at those components and looks at how long those components are going to last. Right. Meaning, you know, what their estimated remaining useful life of that specific component, a cost of how much it's going to cost to replace. And with an interest rate and an inflation factor, it comes up with a 30-year horizon for repairs and maintenance on a condominium development mm -hmm. so that you can actually anticipate what right. real costs are instead of a 10% line item for reserve. So there's always an issue with this type of report, but there's also a, um, a response to that. So one of the issues that we've always, always had, and the legal opinion will be, don't do the report in final form that's also released as a note in the financial statement of the condo because the theory is... Okay, let's say we have a half a million dollars noted as this is what's needed in the next 20 years. And then suddenly it balloons to $2 million because something fell apart. There was a catastrophe, whatever it may be. People that purchased on the $500,000 number are then going to say, but this is false information. They could possibly sue. It could lead to a lot of other issues. But I know that there's a workaround for that, which is uh, what? Well, there's two issues here. Yeah. You know, the, the first issue is, is you know, do you, do you, you know, the report is a living document. And yeah. what it's designed to do essentially is to give a guideline for But some people board. will not use it as a living document and they use it as gospel. Correct. Then that's okay. the problem because we're dealing with human people. Yes. And, and look, you could never look at a fan and say, you know, within a condominium development and say, oh, I know that that fan is going to last, you know, six months and four days. Right. So you're going to give an estimated an average. Yeah. average of what that fan is going, you know, when is that, when that fan is going to break. Right. So there's a couple of different theories here. So the basis is that you always want to make sure that you have enough cash in order to repair that fan as an example. Right. But to your point, because we live in such a litigious society. Um, and by the way, this is the comment I hear all the time. The, the question I always ask back to my clients and to attorneys, and I, I'm not an attorney, so yeah. I'm not giving any legal advice, but is when's the last time you had a lawsuit based upon a reserve study? And frankly, I've never, never gotten a yes. So Never. <laughs> yeah. But so. it's always the opinion of the attorney that we shouldn't be doing them for yes. that reason. Correct. I think everybody's just running scared. I, I think that's absolutely what the answer is. Yeah. The reality is, though, that a lot of condominium boards use this as a basis for, you know, their 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 costs going forward and don't include it in the financials. Right. And the way they do that is they essentially leave the report in a draft format right. and leave it as a working document. You know, it's interesting. I've been to a lot of annual meetings, and one of the things that they'll always harp on is the shareholders or the unit owners is the statement in the financial statement that says that they haven't undertaken a 
um, a reserve study or a capital study. And it's the way that it's worded, I think, from the accountant's perspective. that, And it's probably the language that's needed to be placed in there based on the guidelines that they have. But it always opens up that can of worms to the question. And then we have to explain in the cases where you just said of leaving it open in draft form. Okay, this is this is what we did and you know, this is why it was left in draft form and this is why the financial statements say this way. So I guess half of it is communication to everybody just so that everybody's on the same page. Yeah, it, it makes my job a little bit harder. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's just, you know, I, I spend, my joke is that, you know, my weekday nights at, from seven o'clock till 10 o'clock at night are spent at board meetings yeah. all the time. And you, you know, you're never going to get me between seven and 10. Right. Um, which is true, by the way. I know that feeling. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, what, what's interesting about a, a reserve study within some of these condominium developments, which I find so shocking sometimes, is that condominium boards typically don't even know what their inventory is. Mm -hmm. Meaning they don't know how many fans are in a building as, right. a, as a bad example. But they, they, they don't know what the mechanicals are. They don't know what the cost of every single component is. Right. So... In a lot of developments, when we come in and do that first report, it's really interesting because they go, oh, where's this? You know, where's the compactor? And the right. compactor costs $35,000 to repair. Oh, goodness. How old is it? You know, so so understanding what the components are and the repair and replacement costs for these developments is really important for a volunteer board member. But I think it also helps when you know, let's take the compactor, for example, and you know, okay, it's going to be $35,000 of a repair, it's going to be X amount of dollars for a replacement, and then you have to, that's useful information because now you can weigh the pros and cons of do we patch it or do we replace it, and it costs a little bit more now up front, but, the, you know, we're going to have to do these constant repairs for the next few years anyway. So I guess more information is just better for everybody because they're, everybody needs to operate with both eyes open. Well, correct, because you never want to be in a scenario where all of a sudden you have a, you know, two or three million dollar, you know, cost that hits yeah. the condominium development, which, by the way, is not, you know, it, it happens a lot. A lot. I'm, I'm actually shocked sometimes. We were just doing a development. We did a reserve study on a development and a uh, condominium project approval for the same development in Jackson Heights, Queens. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we started the reserve study and we started the work on it. Engineers went to the site. They reviewed all the components. And during the course of the reserve study, it turns out that, you know, all, all, the vertical risers for, for, for the gas essentially all had leaks in them. Yeah. What, what ended up happening, and it, it was, it, we were told about it because, you know, you know our, our team doesn't open up walls, right? Mm -hmm. We just look at the component cost and, mm -hmm. and look at all the components that we can see. So we never open up a wall to see what a component is unless we're asked to do a specific, you know, job yeah. um, uh, on that. And it ended up being a $3 million cost to the association. Yeah, because um, I've had 20 unit buildings that are 140000 in on gas riser replacements and meter replacements and from leaks. Well, I'm going to get it. That's, there's actually a local lock, a local 152 of 2016 that says every now it's going to be every four years. Um, I'm going to do a whole episode on it, but you have to do um, testing in common areas yeah. um, for all gas uh, in service and buildings. And the way that it's factored out is based on your community board number. So all boroughs the same year, depending on their community board number. And I have a chart for all of my buildings just to see, but they're starting in 2020 now. Um, it's going to be hugely expensive, but at least they don't do pressure testing. They don't right. do pressure testing. They just do sensor testing. Right. So that's going to save a lot of people. But 
I think that now as we move to changing meters with the national grid, you're going to find a lot of pressure testing being done where you don't necessarily have to do it by law. And all of these, every building that gets gas service in New York City or in the five boroughs of New York City has to be, this has to be on the top of their list because this is going to be a huge expense. Yeah, I want to take my kids out of college and teach them to be plumbers. Yeah, um, and so, you know, yeah. It's, they'll it's, be they'll be set for life. <laughs> set for life. <laughs> That's a good, bankroll that. That's right. well worth it for you too. Right, exactly. Um, so, so we're in an interesting position in this marketplace because you know we see a lot of the existing established developments which you deal with on a regular mm-hmm. basis, um, and we do this you know condominium project approval for those developments so that mortgage financing is available. Yeah. Um, and in many cases, uh, it, you know, the reserve study, um, the reserve study on an existing development. And, and to be very frank about this, a 10% line item for reserve, I can guarantee you is always wrong, mm-hmm. right? The, the, the arbitrary. Because it's based on the budget, which is an estimate. Yeah. And, and who knows what's in the budget? In some right. budgets you have, you know, four staff members at $120,000 a year that are in that condominium budget. Right. Why are you reserving on that money, right? Yeah. It just doesn't make sense. You're reserving on a salary. Right. But that's the way the guideline is written because they had to establish it somewhere. Um, How much does a, a typical reserve study cost? Is there a ballpark? Yeah, on an average 100 unit development, it's around, it's around 8500 bucks. Okay. And so one way to get around the 10% hold back or transfer right from Mm -hmm. the operating to reserve would be to do this study. Yeah. I I, I don't usually like to say get around, but yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Okay. How would you phrase it? I'm not looking to do anything shady whatsoever. (laughs) Um, Another way to parlay this information. You know, the 10% line item is an arbitrary number, right? So we like to look at it as, you know, how do you create an exact number Mm -hmm. um, or a more exact number? And to come up with an accurate number instead of an arbitrary number, you do a reserve study, right? How much can you save as a condominium development? We've saved some developments $250,000 to $300,000 a year in funding. So is this something that needs to be done yearly? Um, So the agency guidelines, Fannie Mae's guidelines, which again, they're kind of the law of the land. And, um, you know, the, 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 you know, they, they, they kind of make their way into every other lending guideline out there, state that you need a three-year update. Okay. So every three years, it should be updated. All right. So let's average out to $3,000 a year for your 100-unit average, 8,500-hour study carries you for three years. So you're paying about $3,000 a year on average, and that's going to not work around the 10%, <laughs> but it's another alternative to, to this process. Well, yeah, it's another, look, if I, you know, if I own a condominium development, do I want, and you have to think about it from an owner's perspective, right? Mm-hmm. And we're going to get into new construction development because it's a whole different animal. Um, and what the reasons why new construction developers do reserve studies and do project approvals. Yeah. But if I'm a homeowner, I don't know how long I'm going to be living property i yeah. might live here for two years i might live here for 10 years i might live here for 30 years right so if i'm reserving 10 percent a year and i'm putting aside 10 percent of my con- you know condominium maintenance charges every single year there's no such thing as a clawback you don't get that money back correct right so why wouldn't it be why wouldn't you be accurate right right why do i want to put in an extra twenty thousand dollars over 10 years that i'm never going to get back yeah. And, and that wasn't necessary for the condominium development. And why wouldn't I just do a reserve study instead and do the, and get an actual number. Right. And the right number. Yeah. 
Um, and you're also lowering your common charges on a monthly basis, which makes it easier when you're looking to sell. Correct. There's a lot of benefits to this, and there's a, you know, one thing leads to the next, and you can go full circle to saying it's going to be easier to get um, for somebody to purchase the the apartment. It's going to be easier for them to get funding for the apartment because their debt to income ratio is going to skew. I mean, we could go down the line of yes. like the you know. Yeah, it's like the sliding doors, you know, it's like one one thing happened or the butterfly effect, you know, right. one thing it's cascading. Right. But, you know, what you also have to realize is not every single development is going to see a savings. Right. Because mm -hmm. there are some developments that are poorly maintained and there right. are some developments that, you know, haven't spent a single dime outside of what they were you know, required to by a local, you know, local, yeah. local 11 or, or whatever right. it may be in order to do repairs to the development. Right. So. In some cases, and you see a lot of that. Sorry to interrupt, yeah. but you see a lot of that in, um, I won't say sponsor con or developer controlled, but where the sponsor has, maybe they do have control of the board. Maybe they have a larger percentage of the votes. Maybe they're in a condo that requires um, either supermajority approval or unanimous approval for jobs that are over twenty thousand dollars. Right. So. When we see this, and this leads me to my next point, but when we see a, a, a building that's in its current state that may not be favorable, it might not be the current makeups issue. It may be that 30 years before there was this mentality that we're only going to do what we absolutely need to do because it's going to hit the sponsor who has the right to say no at that point in time to these projects, which is just going to hit his bottom line. And he's leaving anyway, right? right? The sponsor's leaving. They don't care. They're going to unload these apartments when they're ready, and they walk away, and they leave you holding the mess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. holding the mess. Um, so in terms of um, one thing that really affects financing, and it's on every questionnaire that we get, either condo, co-op, it's uh, what's the percentage of sublet units in the building? And I've always said, and we were talking about this before, but I've always told my boards, like anything above 15% is kind of a red flag to the banks because there's a lot of reasons, right? So you have people beyond the people that live there, they don't want people, <laughs> or the board should not want people there renting because they don't care about the building in the same way. They don't treat it the same way. They don't take care of it in the same way. Um, but from our perspective, if you have an investor and that investor is relying on the rent to pay for the mortgage and to pay for the common charges monthly, what happens if the renter stops paying? Yeah. Then the condo itself is in a negative position because now we're forced to go and collect because that person using it for investment purposes can't pay their monthly dues. So it leaves 15% uh, or more leaves you in a much worse position than if we limit it to 5% or 10%. Um, what are you seeing in terms of banks and, you know, you, you've got a percentage, what's recommended? Are there different scales of that? Are there different guidelines for that? Yeah. Yeah, this this is the the greatest question ever because it affects, thank you. you by know, the way. It's, can, it's, can I have that in writing with can, signed? I appreciate you can. that. It's it's really the one thing that's affecting more condominium developments in the New York City market than anything else. How many investment units are in that development? So I'm going to answer the question in a very interesting way. I'm going to tell you what I tell new construction developers. Essentially, when I sit down with a new construction development team, I sit there and I say, look. I said, if you want to be able to sell these units, and by the way, this is really important because this translates into, this is how a condominium homeowner and board should be thinking too, mm -hmm. because a developer wants to sell their units. They want to make sure that that investment is essentially, you know, they're going to get their return on yeah. it, right? So when I sit down with a new construction developer, what I'll say is you are essentially banned 
from selling units to investors until you've eclipsed the 50% owner occupancy mark, five mm -hmm. zero. Mm -hmm. So, and they say, well, you know, I could take this development and sell half of it in China and sell half of it here and in this country. And, and yeah, I understand that. But what's going to happen is as soon as you eclipse that 50% mark on the investor side, or if you have more investor units than owner occupied units, mortgage financing essentially disappears. Right. And when it's too big of a risk, right? Too big of a risk because of exactly what you just outlined. A lot of these developments, if you look at developments and, and there's more than what there are, there are, there are tons of developments out there that are essentially heavy on the investor and rental side. Mm -hmm. you, you should, you, it's very funny. You should talk to those homeowners who live there right now, who actually live in those buildings and ask them if they can refinance their mortgage yeah. or ask them if they can sell their unit because it becomes so difficult to do so. And again, we talked about this earlier. If you're not compliant and if you don't have the ability to finance a unit, property values plummet. Yeah. So the answer to that question. So I, I told you I was going to start there. I st it's my conversation with new construction developers. Well, right. I have the same conversation with condominium boards. You have to do everything you can in order to keep out the investors and not eclipse that 50% mark. Yeah. Of zero. Now, your, your, your number and the reason why everybody, the reason why there are so many different numbers and what percentage you can have, what percentage you should have and is because the guidelines are, 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 are written in different ways, I should say. Okay. So Fannie Mae, as we said earlier, is the law of the land, right? And every lender follows their guidelines. So there are two different paths for somebody to be able to get a mortgage that's insured by Fannie Mae. If, if a lender is giving out a mortgage, whether it's Chase or Wells or Citibank or First Republic or whatever lender that's out there, essentially, to some extent, they follow these guidelines. Right. The first path is called a limited review. Okay. And, it, and what Fannie Mae did is they said, okay, if you have a development that's compliant based upon this questionnaire, we won't require you to review the bylaws and mm -hmm. review and see if there's a 10% line item for reserve. And We'll, we'll just give you a fast track, easy way to get a condominium unit approved for mortgage financing. Right. And that's what most lenders allow within the, or most lenders essentially utilize in order to provide a mortgage to a homeowner. So that fast track, okay, has a couple of limitations on it. So no more than 20% of the units, okay, can be, uh, you know, investor owned mm -hmm. within that fast track report. Okay. Once you exceed that number, it's a red flag and you may not be able to get a mortgage through that limited review process. Right. But there's another track for condominium project approval, which is a global approval on the development, right? And the global approval essentially out, you know, you're sending the whole entire development to an agency like Fannie Mae or the FHA or, you know, VA in some cases, right? Yep. And that, but the, the Fannie Mae is by far the most you know, popular approval out there um, because it's so global. And Fannie Mae will approve a condominium development up to 50% of the units encumbered with, you know, with investor owned, uh, encumbered with investor units. So essentially, if you have 50, if you have a hundred unit development, and 51 of those units are owner-occupied, you're in the clear. You can right. get a global project approval on the site. And that makes it so much easier for anybody that's looking to finance because then, it's as you said, it's a fast track. Correct. I've seen some uh, re you know, refinances especially that go through weeks of questions. 
yeah. weeks of questions. And it must be for one that's not fast-tracked. Correct. So, <laughs> so we're, we're following all that information up with more information and more information and financial statements and yeah, you know, the draft is not acceptable. We need the, we need the final. I'm like, well, I'm working with the board. They have jobs. They can't, you know, they can't approve it so quickly. Yeah. So it's like the dance of just information flowing one way to the next. Correct. And, and, and so we always like to look at this and say, okay, look, um, and, and when we're talking to a condominium and board, it's essentially the same. It, 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 when we're talking to a condominium board and a developer, Essentially, it's the same conversation. It's just a little bit different because there's one person making the decision as opposed to a team of people making the decision, yeah. like a whole condominium board having to vote on something or having to make, you know, to vote on whether they want to spend the money for a reserve study. It's just right. vote on whether they want to spend the money for a project approval. And so it's easier to, you know, to outline it very clearly to one person instead of outlining it of to course. six or ten or whoever many are on the board. Um, but, you know, we're pretty clear about this. Um, you know, we're big proponents of making sure that mortgage financing exists, exists within these developments mm -hmm. just because we've seen the other side of it. We've right. seen how, how, how much values, you know, drop and we're in a really precarious place right now in this market. New York city market is changed. Mm -hmm. You know, property values have gone down a little bit. Have you seen a slowdown in development or new developers coming to you for, um, project financing, um, proposed developments that they want you to look at? So, not yet. And I'll, I'll tell you why. Most of the developments that we see, you know, we see that started two years ago or three years ago mm -hmm. because they're in the initial planning stage. They just acquired the piece of property. They're, you know, in the process of trying to approve a site. Um, so, and it's different segments of the market. Like the new construction market from our perspective right now is, you know, we're still seeing a lot of units come to market or being constructed right now. Right. Um, we haven't seen necessarily the slowdown as much as I think other people have seen it because we're, 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 we're so long in this market. Um, where we have seen a massive slowdown is conversion properties because the new, new the tenant laws. protection. Act. Yeah. 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 So those in June, have, yeah, those just went away. Mm -hmm. It was just, you know, they snapped their fingers and there are no more condominium conversions from rental to condo. Right. I mean, it just doesn't exist. And I think one of the things that they went through with was when they, you can correct me if I'm wrong, maybe you have a better sense of this, but going from that it all has to be a non-eviction plan, right? 51% of the building has to sign on to um, purchasing an apartment based on um, the, the offering, right? Yeah. So it's really interesting because essentially it's a moratorium. Um, for condominium right. conversion, because it used to be the threshold was fifteen percent for yeah. the eviction plan, and you and those fifteen percent didn't have to be made up by current tenants within the building. Right and now, the law is that you need fifty-one percent of the current tenants in the building that uh, will sign a contract of sale. Yeah, peace out conversions. Yeah, pretty much. It's <laughs> over. I mean, the game. Yeah, it's over. Um, game change. It's really game changer. Yeah. Um, so we'll, you know, we'll see what comes in the future, and we'll, you know, there's a lot of talk in the industry of trying to do a waiver and reduce the number because, you know, that's an interesting topic. By the way, a again, you know, fifty-one percent of the current tenants. If you've ever developed a property or, or looked at a rental development. Renters typically have a different mindset mm -hmm. than purchasers. And not only do you, have, do you have to look at making sure that 51% of those people can qualify for a mortgage, mm -hmm. because in some cases they can't. Right. Um, there's a reason that they're renting. But in, in, in many cases, it's, you know, they have no interest whatsoever in owning a piece of property. 
Right. And you have this finite number of people that you can work with. So, if it's yeah. like, again, a hundred unit building, only 51 of the, you know, you need 51 of those people to absolutely sign a contract to sell. And at some point it doesn't become financially um, tenable for the developer to give insider pricing to 51 people out of a hundred. Correct. So maybe just looking at the economics of it, it's just not even worth it. And the time and the energy and the, the cost of getting to the financing part. Correct. Yeah. There's a lot of things there. Yeah. So tell me about strategic inspections. So you, we talked about national condo advisors and then you also are a part of strategic inspections. So right. is that different? And how are, is it different? What are you doing with that? Yeah, so national condos are compliance arm. Essentially, right. we work with essentially new construction developers, existing established boards, property managers, and lenders in providing compliance for, uh, so that uh, you know for con condominium developments, so those condominium developments can be approved for mortgage financing. Strategic is our reserve study arm. Yeah. Um, so in strategic, we do and we have done like in 2018 and 2019 so far. In the New York City market alone, we've done more than 83, we've done reserve studies on more than 83% of the new construction wow. projects that are that That's huge. Developed. Yeah. Yeah. So again, ubiquitous kind of within this space. Yeah. Um, we, Strategic is an interesting company because, you know, it, 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 the whole basis of Strategic is based in condominium guidelines. Yeah. Right. So our competition really is either engineering groups mm -hmm. um but we don't have a lot of competition that understands compliance um so there there there's a lot of competition that's really great that can do a really great job in determining the cost of a component right but they don't understand essentially how to create a funding plan that that's compliant with lending guidelines yeah so we occupy this very strange space and it's very niche but mm -hmm. it's very ubiquitous you know we have a lot of the market share because we offer both of those services. Right. Yeah. So it's interesting. That's cool. <laughs> <laughs> Is yeah. anybody up? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I, you know, I have a, I have a 17, uh, 16, going to be 17 year old daughter. It's a senior in high school. And, yeah. you know, when her friends come over, they, you know, so every once in a while they ask what, what I do. And yeah. she looks over at me and she goes, just don't even ask. Don't <laughs> It's too hard to explain. That's funny. <laughs> so, so where are you? Where are you headed in the next uh, year or two with this? Is this pretty much the same, or are you doing anything different that you've got coming up? Like, what what are you seeing in your companies? So, at National Condo Advisors, the, the the big thing that's hit the industry, and and you have to remember, we're we're a national organization, so we do condominium project approval in California, and Chicago, and Boston, mm -hmm. and and, uh, and Florida. Um, every single major market where there are condominium developments. The big news, and it was actually, it, it just goes into effect today. Today's October 15th, right? Yeah. I yeah. Think so. um, uh, FHA, the FHA has changed their lending guidelines. Okay. Um, and how often do they do that? Uh, it depends. Uh, it used to feel like it happened every six months yeah. uh, over the last 10 years or so. And then we've had enjoyed this, like, you know, good period of time over the last two or three years where they haven't really updated them. Yeah. But they did update them to, to kind of create a major shakeup within the condominium world. And the way they did it is essentially if you were going to get an FHA mortgage, you had to essentially the whole entire condominium development had to be approved with the FHA. And the FHA came out with guidelines that go into effect today that state that um, now you can get what's called a spot approval. Okay. And that 
to most people is not really important. Um, but I'll tell you who it's important for, um, or where I think it's very important. If you have a homeowner that lives in a condominium development and they want a mortgage and let's say they're 70 years old, um, it's very difficult to get approved for a conventional or FHA mm -hmm. mortgage because you typically don't have the same income you did when you were in the workforce right. and you can't show your income as, as, as much as you could in the past. Right. Typically you're living on investment income or social security. And over the last 10 years, it's almost been impossible for those types of unit owners without the whole entire condominium development uh, being approved. First of all, it was really difficult for them to get mortgages in the first place, mm -hmm. but there was one mortgage that was offered, which was the reverse mortgage. Yes. Um, and it was offered by the FHA, right? Mm -hmm. And it was essentially the only game in town. So homeowners were in this weird place where they couldn't get this mortgage because they couldn't get the whole entire development approved on their own. I mean, we, we did it for many clients, but it's a long process. And now the FHA introduced this spot loan policy, which allows a single unit to be approved for mortgage financing. And it goes into effect today. Okay. Um, it, that's also a game changer in the industry, not only for mortgage lenders, but also for homeowners who are looking to get mortgage financing. Yeah. Um, so that's something that we're working on pretty, pretty aggressively right now in getting those single unit um, developments or single unit loans, get the development approved so that a lender can lend on. Mm -hmm. So that's the one game changing thing that's happening on the condominium compliance. Right. Um, and I'd say the thing that's happening that's different on the new construction development side, which is kind of the sexier place mm -hmm. where we live in, <laughs> you yeah. know, um, even, you know, in super luxury developments and developments in New York City that are going up and being constructed, um, we're doing a ton of reserve studies. Um, the reason being is a lot of new construction developments don't want to comply with that 10% line item for right. reserve that we talked about. Yeah. Um, and shouldn't have to really, because it's a new building. A mm. lot, of, you know, yeah. a lot of, unfortunately, most of the new buildings that we've taken over, it just, there's it's some just work that has to be done. Yeah. 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 So what we like to go in and it, it but it's certainly not the 10% number, and, but hopefully also, I mean, if it's new construction, it's hopefully warranted by the developer. And um, unless you get litigious, it, it should be okay. In some instances, yes, and yeah. you're right. But what we've done is, you know, we do reserve studies on these new construction developments before they're even constructed. Mm -hmm. and we look at the condominium plans, and we look at the construction plans and develop a reserve study based upon those components. So in a lot of new construction development, they're actually reserving the right amount. It may not be overkill, it yeah. may not be 10%, but there's typically enough money around because the, a lot of these developments are doing reserve studies just because it benefits them. The marketing costs are less, you know, the, 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 the maintenance costs are less. It's easier to market a unit, as we said earlier, with lower maintenance costs. Yeah. Um, and they're coming up with an actual number. And to, to the point we made earlier as well, training the homeowners to pay for reserves which is so important yeah yeah so that's happening another benefit i could think of when you're doing the study in lieu i won't say oh, thank you i've learned <laughs> when you're doing the study in lieu of the 10 percent holdback is that when you do have a major issue and you do have the need for an assessment a homeowner could typically write off a portion of that capital assessment on their basis when they sell the apartment. It's absolutely accurate. Yeah. I mean, I'm not a financial guy at all. Yeah. At all. 
But I would think that that's another kind of feather in your cap when you're looking at this from an assessment versus a common charge slash maintenance issue. Yeah, and it's very interesting right now because there are a lot of companies, to your point, that are coming up with software that goes along with these reserve studies that outlines the tax benefit for every single unit owner when a repair is done. Mm -hmm. So, yes, they're contributing to a reserve account, but why aren't they getting a benefit from the repair work that's being done right? and a tax benefit from the repair yeah. work that's being done. And now people have gotten a little bit smart and figured out how to kind of make sure that every homeowner takes the appropriate deductions. Um, so you're going to see a lot of that coming in the next two or three years. A lot more creative. You have to, I mean, creativity comes from necessity, you know, every dollar counts and matters right now, especially yeah. to a homeowner within a condominium development. Um, yeah, it's, you know, we have seen people get really hurt in some instances, people, you know, where they buy in at a certain price and a certain expectation for maintenance costs. And all of a sudden maintenance costs in some cases have doubled from the initial, yeah. you know, purchase of that unit. And some people, you know, they weren't qualified based on that increased maintenance. They don't have the cash to make those ends meet. Um, and that's not only in the, you know, regular affordable market in New York City. Right. And w what I mean by affordable and what other people mean by affordable is typically two different things. But, <laughs> you know, affordable is, you know, a, a, an average 500 to $800,000 yeah. unit, right? Even in luxury developments where we're seeing, you know, a $2 million and $2.5 million price points, maintenance skyrocketing in these developments. And you must yeah. be seeing this as well in mm -hmm. some of your sites. Mm -hmm. It's just, and there's very little you can do about it with the rising cost mm -hmm. and repairs not being made or not being accounted But everything is going up. I mean, insurance, they're yeah. projecting going up 10 to 15% next year just across the board. Yep. Water and sewer is always going up. We're always fighting real estate. I mean, in a condo, it's not so, it doesn't apply really to the overall building's expenses, but right. in a co-op it does, but... We're fighting against so many things. And there's so many new laws that are just throwing the budgets out of whack because what we just talked about before with the gas, you know, yeah. if it's a minor repair, is it going to be, you know, if straight from your operating budget? Can we loop in, you know, the cop, the capital reserve budget for an entire building's re, you know, refitting of piping? And that's going to be, as you said, it, that one, you had one building, it was like $2 million. Three. Three. And it's catastrophic for this building. So these are all expenses that you, you know, as a manager, you always want to come in and, you know, give your, put your best foot forward on the budget and say, this is what we anticipate. But when the city is throwing things at you on a monthly basis and saying, this is a new law, this is a new law, this is a new law, you have to get, you know, you have to get your numbers in order. And you, uh, sometimes you don't have a good sense of what these things are going to cost for a few years down the line anyway, because it's so new. I, I don't envy you because I, I don't I, envy me either. <laughs> I don't, you know, because not only are the costs going up, but then you have to communicate that to a board member or, you know, several board members yeah. and you know, it's actual cost and good property managers that kind of, you know, forecast this stuff uh, aren't always appreciated as they should be, yeah. you know? Hey, we're just giving you the news. We're not causing it. Yeah, right. That's exactly. part of the problem is, you know, we're, we're not the enemy here. We're on the same team. Exactly. But you know, my viewpoint on that is always that, you know, it, the more information you provide a board with, the better off they are. Yeah. Um, it's really hard to, you know, look, I've seen everything in this industry and I've seen, I had a property manager once say, you know, I, I don't want to 
tell the board about a reserve study and the project approval because I don't really want to talk to them right now. Yeah. And I, I was like, what? And, and, excuse me? And, yeah. Well, they, they, there, there are some issues, and I, I don't want to talk about costs right now. Right. I want to wait, and I want to wait for, you know, around budget time. And, yeah. And, I, I said to myself, oh, okay, let's wait, <laughs> but you're, you know, I can't believe you're not commuting, communicating yeah. the issues to your boards. Yeah. I, I, hey, I've seen all sorts of relationships, and it's just <laughs> sometimes they're, they're people too. I always say, you know, half the marriages end in divorce. Yeah. It's, it's personal relationships, that's yeah. all you can say. But we try to do our best to, for, as you said, forecast, figure out what's going on, figuring out what's good. But for the, for the companies that don't have a handle on the law changes and the rules. There's no way. Like, there's people that are like, yeah, it's it's easy to. Ma- I mean, it's it's never going to be easy wherever you are, but to come in and say, yeah, we can manage in the in New York City area, no problem. We don't have any experience. It's fine. But it really. I mean, I've been doing this in this is my twenty second year, I think, um, in this company, like in this industry, in this place, and I'm still confused, yeah. you know, because of the new law changes and like, what does that mean for us? Like, how are we going to handle that? Yeah. And if you don't have somebody in any company that's like severely on top of that, which like we do, and yeah. that's usually me like charting. I have like a huge database of charts, you know, just like figuring out which laws are applying to which buildings and what's that going to cost. You know, like you can't I can't even imagine you're operating, you know, with misguided information half the time. Uh, yeah, a hundred percent right. Yeah, and, and we see it. You know, we we see it from our perspective, right? So we we see it in the repair work that's not done. We see it in the yeah. in the in 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 the in the rushing of of things to get done. Um, yeah. Whether it's elevator repairs that are you know. Oh in, well, yeah. I did a whole episode on the uh, elevator upgrades for 2020. Then there's 2027 upgrades. Yeah. Some people can't even upgrade. Yeah. They're going to be modernizing, and that's two hundred thousand dollars. Boom. Yeah. Just because they changed the law. And when I said earlier that I wanted my daughter to be a plumber now, I'm, I'm rethinking <laughs> that I wanted to be an elevator, elevator. repair person. Yeah. So, um, yeah. No, there, there's, there's a, a tremendous amount of cost in living in these developments yeah. and getting it right is not always easy. Well, I'm glad you're here. Thank you. So how can everybody's going to get, so I have your card here, so I'm going to, I'm going to pick one <laughs> so they can call you directly yes. at 888-726-6361. Extension 303. I'll read that again. That's 888-726-6361, extension 303. Or just go to nationalcondoadvisors.com. That's easy. Um, Just a reminder, if everybody's listening, you can email the show at nycrealestatepodcast at gmail.com, nycrealestatepodcast at gmail.com. And I'm very quick to answer, so I appreciate any emails that you send in. Oris Tomaselli, thank you for coming in. Thank you very much. For I appreciate it. It was a great episode, and uh, we'll be back hopefully in the next uh, week with a new one. All right, take care.